comes from Exodus four eighteen to 31. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Sipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So, went, so he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worship. This is God's word. Let's pray together, family. My heads, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you that uh, you reveal yourself to us. And Lord, we pray that that would happen right now. Lord, we confess that we don't discover you, Lord. You reveal yourself. And so we are excited about that. And we know that you want to be worshipped. So have your way here. Would you speak through me, Jesus? Would you allow us to understand what you're trying to communicate to the people of God uh, so that we could be mobilized for your glory? Uh, Prepare hearts, work in hearts right now. Pray the gospel will be clear. Offer you, Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, family. All right. If you need Bibles, go ahead and uh, raise your hand, and Pastor Leon will hook you guys up for sure. As you're reading the passage, it's a very interesting passage. <laughs> Should have gave it to one of my elders. So, uh, oh, I hooked you up, man. Look, look at God, man. What's wrong with me? All right. Um, hey, as a, as a church, we go through books of the Bible. We got a lot to do today. Uh, we're in Exodus right now. We've done a bunch of books. Uh, the reason why we do that is we really want to provide and prepare you guys to have the whole counsel of God's word. We don't want to stay in places that make us look good. And so uh, we know that um, by just being hopefully at some level unbiased and letting God speak through his word, taking you through the whole counsel of scripture, you get the fullness of who Christ is. And so that's our heart behind that. We're in Exodus. If you have questions, we love to have questions in the local body. For the sake of time, I'd ask that you can even maybe and save questions to the end. I'll be here to uh, process stuff. We have our elders around. If something you feel like can really mobilize and, and, and educate and encourage the body, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, guys? So feel free to do that. 
I want you to know that right now. That's no problem. And uh, if you need Bibles, again, you can raise your hand. Uh, we want you guys to be navigating the text. So as when the text's up there, be looking in your Bibles, taking your pen, jotting things down. Uh, we really want to have a passion uh, to be diving in God's word and knowing what he says. Okay, so uh, we don't want this ever to become just a kind of remote exercise. Okay, um, just be passionate about Jesus. Um, just enter to the scriptures here. We're in uh, chapter four. We've had a lot go on. Um, crazy narrative. Uh, we've had basically Moses uh, raising Pharaoh's house in a nutshell, the people of Israel uh, in bondage for, for many, many years. Um, uh, altogether, 400-something years they were in Egypt, uh, in bondage probably two to 300 of those years. Uh, Moses, Moses grows up as a prince, prince of Egypt, as it were. Um, he kills a dude. Uh, an Egyptian gets exiled for about 40 years for doing that. Uh, while he's in exile, broke, doesn't have much money, marries uh, <laughs> his boss's daughter. Uh, and, and all of a sudden he meets God. We've seen him meet the Lord. And he's walking, minding his own business, kind of doing his little thing. And all of a sudden God shows him that there's a, uh, hey, to remember who he is, uh, recalibrates his walk with Jesus, I would even say. And then introduces him uh, to uh, Moses because God is gracious like that. And and now we are here uh, where a lot of transition has happening has happened during the last couple of weeks. Um, and we've seen God actually not only introduce himself to Moses, but say, hey, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. You're going to actually be the guy who's going to lead my people um, out of Egypt. You're going to be the leader of the Exodus. So go figure that. All of a sudden, uh, Moses has all these excuses. We see this broken guy with all these excuses, which actually speaks. And don't, don't forget this. This actually speaks to the heroship of God again. Uh, remember, as we read, as we go through Genesis, as we go through Galatians, as we go through John, all these different books, um, what happens a lot of times in, in, our, in our own personal quiet times is we want to make people the hero. All right. And, and, and we're going to see that even today. We're going to see some good characteristics that we can learn from people. But actually, God is the hero. Okay, so we learn some characteristics. That's cool because we want to retell the story of God through our life. But let's make sure that we're always pausing to see who and how God is making himself be the focal point of the passage. Okay. All right. With that said, we, um, uh, we're here in, in verse 18. Uh, he's gotten a word from, from God that he's going to be preparing and leading these people. Moses is vacillating here and there. We get to verse 18. The scriptures read, Moses went back to Jethro. It's been some time now. Now, he didn't tell Moses, hey, you're going to lead my people. And verse 18 says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, uh, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Uh, a couple things real quick. Um, so, so basically, uh, Moses gets permission from Jethro. There's been some time. And so I want to propose to you that this is a very interesting passage. One in particular, because, uh, there's been this time. And so we haven't seen Moses just kind of hear God speak to him and then go, right? He doesn't just do that. So some time. And actually the author's trying to show us, um, as you see here, and you're going to see in a couple other verses pretty soon that there's these time lags between Joseph, between, I'm sorry, Moses hearing from the Lord and then being obedient to God and almost like God having to prod him to move forward, uh, which kind of speak to our lives as we think of our own journey. But anyway, Moses is here. He's, he's now finally saying, Hey, I got to go and leave. And he's, and he, he pitches it to his father-in-law in this way. Right now, I don't know if you guys remember the passage. This isn't what Jesus said to him, right? This isn't what God said, but he's kind of like, hey, I'm going to go and see whether my, uh, my, my crew is still alive. And so the question is, is Moses lying? You know, is he lying? 
Pro- probably not, right? I mean, he's probably, I don't think he's lying here. I think he's kind of being gracious to the, to the father-in-law, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, I have five kids, uh, my daughter, I have one daughter, so I can totally get this. And some dude comes up to you, right? And says, Hey man, I've been having these visions, man. And, uh, I'm gonna take your daughter and we're going to go back to Egypt where people are being oppressed. Okay. And we're going to leave them out to, you know, out of Egypt. Okay. And I'm going to be the man. All right. No, don't worry about anything. Cause it's me and your girl. All right. I got this stick, but God been speaking to me. So why are you scared? Right? I mean, right? That doesn't so you so just so you can imagine that he probably had to sell it in a different way, right? So he kind of sells it in a way that can so he can honor Jethro and not allow the brother to have a heart attack right on the spot. And says, Hey man, I'm taking your daughter to go into uh, the lion's den to fight this beast, basically, right? That's not what he's doing. So, so he spares him that, and then you, you head on. So now you get to verse 19. It says, and the Lord said uh, to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking you, your life, are dead. Again, uh, here's Moses. He's, he's clear. He understands what he needs to do. He tells Jethro. Uh, all of a sudden, the, the author wants you to see that God has to, again, say, hey, go. Right. So, so the Lord said, Hey, to Moses, you can go. And actually the people who are seeking you are actually dead. So we know some time has passed. Um, and God gives him a little prodding and says, Hey, you're going to go back and hopefully you'll have a different rep. Don't worry about that. We get to verse 20. It says, so Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on, on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand, quick pause, probably a 300 or so mile journey, uh, to Egypt. Uh, and I love the fact that you're starting to see little remnants of, of Moses starting to believe God, right? Why? Because this is something as simple as him talking about the staff. Uh, the staff was, uh, for a while in the text was, was Moses' staff, but now you see it's the staff of God, right? He's kind of getting, he's kind of realizing, uh, basically God's sovereignty and God's power, um, in this journey. If this journey is going to actually end up with him, uh, with God being the winner, uh, so, so I think that's a little snippet of uh, God's protection and his identity kind of being more founded uh, in the Lord. Uh, we move on to verse 21 and the scriptures say, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart. Now I've got to get some, some hard text. I was hoping not, but hey, uh, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord Israel, my firstborn son, uh, verse 23. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So a lot's happening right here, family. Um, let me just uh, point to a few things. First, we see that he's talking about the template, the, the place that's going to come upon Egypt eventually, right? I mean, he's basically kind of hinting to that, that we see basically happening in, uh, to the children in Exodus 12, specifically the firstborn being killed in Exodus chapter 12. And then we get here in this passage, and he talks about uh, this issue of hardening the heart. And so I want to pause on that because we have this 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 con- this this concept of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And this is very hard uh, for you and me as people. I mean, I, I think when, as I talk to Christians or even unbelievers, uh, this passage can come up sometimes because people go, well, you know, if, God, if, if we all have a choice and we get kind of upset, well, why will God purposely harden someone's heart, right, and purposely send them on this one road journey to hell, right? You kind of, you guys ever heard that? You ever felt like that? You ever thought that, right? 
Yeah, I have, I have two. And so you have right here this concept of the word hardened, first and foremost, being used about 20 times between Exodus 4 here and Exodus 14. Uh, so it's being used a lot. And, and the concept, as we all probably imagine, there's many different ways that it's used in the Bible. Specifically here, it's a sense of like being strong, made stiff, uh, being made stubborn, right? Impossible to obey is, that, is the kind of sense uh, that we're getting here. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, what is God doing? I want to propose to you that this is, a, this is a, a very, this is one of those passages where God is really trying to model and show you that he's God and we're not. Um, the reason why is because God, uh, it, uh, we think that God is actively hardening the heart of the wicked. I want to say he's hardening the heart of the wicked, but not in violation of his will, but in conjunction with his will. See, the, 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 the theological flaw that you and I have when we ask that question is we're assuming that man is good. That's your posture. When you ask that question, well, why would, we, why would God purposely allow a, a really a person to, to, to be evil and then go straight to hell? You're saying as if God hadn't hardened his heart, he would be good. But see, what God actually is doing, what God does is he's saying that we are already evil. And our course is already toward evil. And so what God does with us as people is he says, I'm, I'm just kind of saying, this is what you want. This is what you want. I'm just going to let you have it. So in essence, what God does, here's what, here, see, the, the normal reaction is you doing evil. When you don't do evil, that's God holding you. <laughs> you see that? That's God saying, you, I'm, not, I'm not letting you do that. See, we have it twisted thinking that we do good because we're good, and then we slip up sometimes when we do evil. But that's a very warped, very shallow view of the depravity of man, family. Does that make sense? Now, you know what's interesting here? So what God, so what God does he, is that we, we in our natural self, we don't respond to the things of God. And then his punishment, in, as it were, comes upon us. And what it is, his punishment is that he gives us what we want. That's actually God's punishment is that you want more worldliness. You want more sin. Well, here, right? Have we, I mean, think about being a parent every once in a while, you understand the confines, you understand how things work. You understand what's going to happen. And then your son or daughter will kind of tell you what they know. Now, as a, as a parent, just like God, praise the Lord, we'll, we'll kind of make sure that it's not, it won't, it won't fatally hurt them. But every once in a while we say, okay, well go ahead and do it then. Right. Right, and then they get hurt, okay? I mean, for, for heaven's sake, uh, yesterday, Brandon, right? So, Carter, I want to lean back in the chair. Lean back in the chair, buddy. You shouldn't lean back in the chair, right? Don't lean back in the chair. Do what I want to do. I'm Carter Dog, you know? Okay. All right. Boom, you look at me. <laughs> I grab him. I'm sorry, buddy. Hey, we probably shouldn't lean back in the chair, huh? Right? Right? You know what's funny here, family? Think about, think about your journey. We don't have a problem. Now, now think, we, we, we think we're so concerned about justice, right? right? We think we're like, no, that, like our, our posture might be, well, I'm concerned about justice. I just want, if God's going to be just, I want him to be just, and I'm going to call God out. No, 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 we're not really concerned about justice. You know why I know that? Look at the bottom. Because God's softening the heart. We don't, we don't trip about that. Right? We don't get upset when God softens the heart and allows someone to come to Christ. 
See, uh, some, some great theologians have said that this, the scandal of evangelicalism, the scandal of the cross, the scandal is that it's not that people go to hell. The scandal is that people go to heaven. That, that, that's what's crazy. What's normal is people should go to hell. <laughs> the scandal is that, oh, my goodness, a gracious God takes people who are his enemy, who don't care about him, who has intention to do evil all the time, and then he pauses, catches them, while they do not want to be held by God, do not want to love God, and he still grabs them and loves them and cares for them and dies for them and sacrifices for them. That's the scandal. And then does something in their heart where now they want to please God. That's the scandal. So if we were really concerned about justice, we would be mad that people get saved. Right? Because in, its, in itself, that's kind of bizarre. But that's mercy. Yeah, so what this does is actually points to a big gospel truth here. When you see God hardening a heart, what he's really doing is he's allowing that heart to be what it's supposed to be. And the reason why he does this, now, uh, there's a guy, uh, John Frame, he says, uh, that questions are okay, but when our questions take on the quality of accusations, when they express actual doubt of God's goodness, when we put ourselves in a proud position of demanding an answer, which is what we do with these things, right? God hardens the heart. Why did you answer me, God? Well, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> then we can expect a rebuke from God. Then God goes, oh, I'm God. I don't need to tell you why I do what I do. So look at here. The point here is a gospel point. I want to propose the reason why he does it, he tells us in the text here. First, to convince the Egyptians that the Lord is truly God. So why does he do this? Why does he do these things? Why does he harden hearts? Why? Have you ever had that happen? I mean, you're talking with people. Uh, we had some friends tell us that we were eating dinner with them, and they said they were talking with some individuals, and uh, they tried to invite them to uh, an alpha course, and the people said, no, no, we don't, do the, we don't do the church stuff. No, no, we don't want anything to do with that. Right, same guy goes on a fishing trip with him, coming back. It's on Sunday. The guy says to him, hey, man, it's on Sunday. You're not at church. You're going to go to hell? Right? How do you get someone that hard-hearted, right, that antagonistic toward God? Right? But then at the same time, you talk with somebody, and it just seems like their heart's, like, ready for Christ. Have you ever had that happen? They're, like, asking you to tell them about Jesus. You have family members who, years after year, they're just, you share the gospel, and it's like they're not even antagonistic toward God. It's not that they even hate God, but they just are not receiving the gospel. It's just going over their heads. And you're like, why in the world? How does this work? How do I see people, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a control freak. You know, I want, I want to know I can get a result. How do I get them to, to say yes to Christ? Well, see, this is what's beautiful about this. God hardens a heart. He hardens a heart. And actually sends people to their destiny, first to convince the Egyptians that the Lord is truly God here, right? Because you have this Egyptian guy who thinks that he's God, Pharaoh. And here's what God, God is saying, let me just make it really clear to the Egyptians. When they see how I, how I take this guy, put him up so that everybody can see, and then harden his heart, and then destroy his people group. Guess what everybody's going to realize? Oh, he wasn't God. I thought, he was, I thought he was awesome. Maybe Israel's God is God. Another reason why he puts someone up on display, hardens their heart, and totally destroys them for us all to see here is to convince Israelites now and in the future that the Lord is truly God. To convince them. So when they're like, whoa, like, man, we're awesome. I'm so glad that, that God loves us more than everybody else. 
goes, no, 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 no. See, it was by my grace. See, I'm truly God. You didn't become a Christian. You didn't love God because you were just better and more intelligent than Pharaoh. He was more powerful, had more stuff, more intelligent. So now they pause and they go, oh, wait, you killed him, saved us, but he seemed to be the better thing to be saving. Man, the Lord is a gracious God and does what he wants. He is truly God. Guess what else? To convince the world. Convince these Israelites, convince the Egyptians, and now the whole world is watching this. We're reading this, and we go, whoa, God does those things? So wait a minute, there's no reason. What's the reason? He lifts this most powerful person up and shows, just like that, I thwart him. So that the world can see that God is truly God. You know what's hard about that? What's really hard about that is the greater good, and this is what we got to get used to. The greater good is that God is after a greater good that's not man-centered, but God-centered. That's, that's, that's the difficult part, is that the greater good, who wins there? You don't win, right? Necessarily, but God wins. When the whole world pauses and go, oh, I'm not God and he is. It's a very sobering Christ exaltation thought. And that's what's happening in the passage here. He hardens Pharaoh's heart and says, guess what? You're going to go to him and he's going to refuse to let you go. I'm telling you right now, but I want you to go in faith and in obedience. And you're going to look silly and the people are going to be mad at you, but you do what I told you because I got a bigger plan. He continues on in the scriptures. Look what he calls. He calls him the son. It's the first time. There's a paradigm shift here, family. The first time that Israel is referred to as God's son. Notice that? See, again, God is God. I just, I'm, aren't you blown away at the fact that he chose you? Think about that. Intimate language. Calls God a father. Calls his kids his son. And I love the whole sense of irony here. Notice, Pharaoh was trying to kill all the firstborns, right? And God says, I'm going to kill your firstborn. Notice the irony there. I'm going to actually accomplish my goal. And guess what? The firstborn that you wanted to kill is going to be the one who leads the people. I love all the beautiful irony of God just showing the world who's in control. Go to verse 24. It says, at a lodging place, we get to even an easier passage. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zippor took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. I love easy passages. All right. So, so we have this beautiful narrative. God calling Moses, Moses, by God's grace, finally being obedient, gets a little prodding, starts moving forward. God tells him, hey, you're going to go to the people. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to harden his heart. I'm sure Moses is thinking like the rest of us. Why is God doing that? Hard someone's heart. Doesn't give him an opportunity to respond. Wait, no, I'm God. You're not. Right? This is what's happening here. And then on the way, God has to do a little detour. 
Now, let me explain some things here. Um, first and foremost, it says, uh, what, I would say, why did God do this? Okay, is it disobedience or ignorance? I would say maybe both. Uh, for sure, I think mostly disobedience. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 17, so we can understand why this is important. If you can put up the text here. The scriptures read, and God said to Abraham, as for, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their, genera- this generations, their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offsprings after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. You hear that? Everybody that you own. Keep going, please. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Here, last verse, verse 14. What do we gain? Just in periphery reading of the text, that circumcision is important to establishing God's covenant people. <laughs> Right. I won't get into all the nuances, but we can we can agree there. that circumcision is what, as, as, as it were, determines whom God covenants people were when they were circumcised before the Lord on the eighth day. Correct. So something here is going wrong because that has not happened. And so here's what happens here, guys. It's very important. We see that there. So why does God want to kill Moses right after commissioning him? He just commissioned Moses. Why does he want to kill Moses? I actually want to propose to you. He's not trying to kill Moses. Okay, here's why. Here's my, here's my reasoning. Again, uh, there's different thoughts. I'm in a camp that he's not trying to kill Moses. Actually, probably in the last five to ten years, that camp has risen tremendously because people are now seeing and pretty convinced that there's been a misinterpretation in the text. Uh, in a lot of our Bibles, uh, we, we have put in the word Moses, uh, where uh, in the text it says, like, uh, in the text it talks about it being Moses' uh feet touched um, with the foreskin. Uh, but the word there in the Hebrew is not Moses. Uh, they are all pronouns. Okay. And so I'm proposing to you guys that what's happening here um, in line with him just discussing the issue of, of being um, uh, uh, a first, firstborn and killing the firstborn is that as they're going over to the, to, they're going to the land of Egypt to deliver the people that actually God pauses because Moses' firstborn was not circumcised Gershom. Okay. And his, his son wasn't circumcised. And so now he's talking about I believe Gershom. He's not talking about Moses. Although Moses is disobedient because he didn't circumcise his son, he's going to actually kill Gershom. And so, and I, and I propose that because in verse 20, um, t- verse 25, we realized that it was actually his son that they were talking about. So even grammatically, it'd be kind of weird uh, that he would, yeah, that he would talk about the son's foreskin and then put the foreskin on Moses's feet. Okay. Um, so I'm proposing to you guys that what's happening here is uh, Moses, for whatever reason, has been disobedient. He has not circumcised his son. I, I, will, I will say he probably hadn't circumcised his son because they've been in uh, out of Egypt for a while. He was born in Egypt. He probably had a partial circumcision himself. For some reason, I think this determined and shows you where he's at uh, spiritually. 
um, where he was that spiritually, I'll say, before even on the burning bush happened. So, so I think that this is, this is we're talking about Moses' son, Gershom. Um, in fact, when you look at the text here in verse 25, uh, it tells you that it's his firstborn son that I propose is going to be killed. And then afterwards, notice that when they go on the trek here, you don't, there's no mention of his sons anymore. But Moses goes on the trek. Well, first and foremost, I'm proposing that he couldn't go on a trek anymore because he just got circumcised. Okay, and so I'm proposing that the sons stay behind and then you see the sons reenter into the discussion later on in Exodus. I know this is a little academic, but I just want us to understand what's going on in the text. Okay, now. uh, So why why does Zipporah, why does she uh, circumcise her son? Well, I would propose because Moses wasn't leading well. All right, so Moses wasn't leading well. He failed and he risked his son being cut off from the people of God. For whatever reason, he thought God was playing, right? And forgot, <laughs> I don't think so. I think he just probably doesn't think it was as important because during that time of in the wilderness and being off where he was, it probably, you know, just his devotion to Christ, I mean, whatever, whatever the reason, it wasn't important for him to circumcise his son, right? So it seems like at some level he stopped trusting God. And then you get caught up in this, this word bridegroom of blood, which make you might think Moses has more to play into this, but the bridegroom, that word bridegroom of blood really means like blood relative or relative of blood, which I think fits in line with my explanation that basically this is God saying, Moses, you've been disobedient. And just like I was talking about killing their firstborn son, I'm actually going to kill your firstborn son because he's outside of the covenant. And so I'm going to show you that I mean business, right? And then he cuts the fore- she cuts the foreskin off and does what she thinks is best, which praise the Lord for a woman who's saying, hey, we need to do something here while he's just standing there staring, looking stupid, right? And um, she cuts the foreskin, puts it at his feet and says, hey, you are a relative of blood for me, saying that because me and this man are married, we had you, you are my relative of blood. You are my blood relative and prayerfully my circumcising you will count as a blessing and to appease the wrath of God. So that's what seems to be going on here. You know what's cool about this passage? That's a lot of stuff, huh? Yep. You're going to ask a question on the hard passage. Hi, Ann. You know what? I was trying to research that. I don't know exactly how old he was. Sam, do you know how old Gershom was? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I asked Sam, because Sam, Sam actually helped me do a lot of research on this, so I'm going to give him some love there. Thank you so much, buddy. Um, yeah, so think about that, right? And it'll go out of me and like, Ew. you know what I'm saying? So, um, now here, but here's the thing, guys, and I, you know what? I don't, what time is it? Because I'm taking a lot of time here. Hey, here's, here's what I want us to understand. God is a hero here. See, what God wants us to see, I'm pretty sure one thing we get to see here is we get to continually see actually the brokenness of Moses. Right? We get to see that, oh, wait a minute, right before you're going to go and be the leader, one of the patriarchs of the whole whole history of the people of God, right before you go right in, you've gotten the burning bush, or you've gotten the revelation of God, you didn't even think he was disobedient before then, God speaks to you and say, I am the God of your father and Jacob, and and you would go home and go, okay, I got to get right. But even yet still, this guy is going into Egypt to deliver God's people, and one of the main rights of the people of God, he has totally said, I don't need to do it. 
And then God shows his justice and his courage to say, well, then I have to kill you because these are my rules. Then you have someone stand up. I want to propose by God's grace. And this is where, again, a woman leading when we're not stepping up. And she does what she needs to do to save her son, to save the mission. And guess what? Then we get to see, wow. So guys, God doesn't just choose people because they have this accolade and they do this right. And look at all these beautiful stories, and he does nothing wrong. You get to see a broken, messed up dude who literally is going into the opportunity to proclaim to Pharaoh that the God of of the Israelites is saying, let my people go, and he's totally in sin. That should bring humility to us, but also hope. Right? It should be like, wow. I don't want that to be my narrative, but wow, look how gracious God is. See, you might think God doesn't want to use you because of fill in the blank. And guess what? You missed it as soon as you said that. Because God never uses you because of you. Don't let, don't let evangelical America, all of us, fool you and think you got to have it all together. One of the biggest, I think, paralysis of the church is specifically men feeling like I got to get it all together. And finally, when I'm like holy and holy, then I'll let God use me. You ain't going to ever get there, so you never do enough for Jesus. There's something very beautiful about the past. I love in here, you're not seeing him thwart holiness. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to understand that he, we need to be like him. We need to honor him, revere him. And at the very same time, while we're on that journey, God wants to use us while we're on the journey. And guess what? Can I just pause? I don't do a lot of allegory, but can I just like this? Can we bring it now to this day? You on your journey, I love the fact that God will stop you and say, now look. I'm walking with you, and we're about to do some big things, but you need to pause, get rid of the porn. You need to pause, start treating her right. You need to pause, quit lying. You need to pause, get courageous. You need to pause and be more kind. You need to pause and think about whatever God is asking you to stop being about your natural self and do what God told you to do in the Bible, right? That's what the Lord is asking. So I love the text here because it allows us to see God as the hero, not you and me. And trust me, y'all know I'm prideful. I love being a hero. But that's what's cool about the text. This guy says, no, you're not the hero, Eric. Praise God. So, you know what else is beautiful about the text here? Not only is he the hero, but look what he's doing. He shows you that he's a hero, and he's always retelling a story and bringing the story all the way back, back this way and back this way to the middle of the cross. You see what he's doing? This is nothing but a lady saying, oh, my goodness. So basically, your stand, the, the stance in which you are in right now, Gershom, is not good, af- good enough to appease a holy God because there's been no shedding of blood. Oh my goodness, we need shedding of blood. Well, what did the Lord tell us to do? He told us that if we're not shedding blood, then you're not part of the covenant people and he's going to kill you because this doesn't appease whom God is. Wait a minute, but we also see that that circumcision was something that was pointing to a greater circumcision. That's the circumcision of the heart. And the circumcision of the heart, we don't have in surgery. It's a spiritual circumcision. There's only one shedding of blood that allows the spiritual circumcision. Praise God, it is Jesus, our Lord. So this passage here 
It's for you and me to remind ourselves to think and remember and remember that this is nothing more than a retelling, a typology of what Jesus does on the cross. There's nothing that could appease the wrath of a holy God. And you can try, you can try to work hard, you can try to hide behind things, you can try to act like and hope that God forgot, but he will not. That all of us will have to pay. But only those who understand that there is a circumcision of the heart, that there is a shedding of blood that's worthy to stand before a holy God and say, I paid the penalty. That's why we're Christians. If you are here right now, why are you guys Christians? Because Jesus' blood is the only blood that could pay for my sin. Jesus is the only blood that can bring recreation, new creation to this world. That's hope. That's what he's wanting us to see in the text. Continues on. And says, the Lord said to Aaron, verse 27, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met with him, met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Right. So you got this family reunion that happens here. Family, right. They ain't seen each other in a very long time, maybe about 40 years or so come together. Family reunion. Oh, it's awesome to see you. This is awesome. And notice this is a brief commercial that notice how Moses, God talks to Aaron and he disobeys. You notice that? No burning bush. Right. It's interesting. He didn't get as much revelation. I think it's fair to say. Right. And yet. Hey, go and see Moses. He'd be the dude, the beard, and he'll go and check him out. And he's like, all right, cool. And he just goes. I think the author is trying to show us many times when you're looking at historical narratives in the Bible is that all these different narratives, you'll see characters. And God isn't asking you to dote on those characters or spend a ton of time on those characters. But God is trying to ask you, as when you think of this huge, this Bible, this canon of scriptures, this beautiful act where God is the star. He's wanting to ask you over and over again, verse by verse, when you go to the different chapters, it's like, which role are you playing in this play? He's always asking that when you see different people. And you'll see different things. He just goes, hey, which guy are you? Are you, the, are you the guy who doesn't like God? Are you the faker? Are you the holy one? And so trust me, guys, as you're looking at this play right now unfolding, and we're seeing the vacillator of Moses, that's one character. We're seeing another guy, Aaron, who says, yeah, Lord, sure. All right, well, where, where, where am I meeting him at? Mac and Bewick? What? Where are we going? Right? You see these different characters. God is wanting you to pause and go, who are you in this play? Right? Who are you in this play? So family reunion comes, verse 28, and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent uh, him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people. One more thing, and we're going to go home. Uh, Went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. So he gathers all the elders, right? Notice here, office season is important. doesn't tell you about the trip. They've been traveling for a grip now. doesn't tell you about the trip because it's so important to understand what's about to happen with the elders. He just fast forwards right to this journey, right? In verse 30, it says, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord has spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Notice that. Isn't that interesting? So it's very interesting to me. So Aaron... He's not on his mouthpiece. I think the text is saying he actually did the signs too. It wasn't like he spoke and it's like, all right, now take it away, Moses. You know, right? That, right? That's not what happened, right? Like Moses was like, look, man, here's what's up. This is going to happen and you got to do this and take this staff right quick. Okay, cool. And then he walks over and 
And he basically tells the people, now, this is wise. Okay, not only has God called this brother, but I'm, I'm convinced that Aaron was also an elder. You know why? Because look at the street cred this brother has. Think about it, guys. Moses ain't been, he hasn't been back in 40 years. Right? Top, you know, maybe. <laughs> okay, so, so, not, so first of all, they don't know him. All right? If they do know him, he has a bad rep. Because remember, all the rumors have been going around. Okay? And so he comes in, and he's going to say, hey, uh, I'm Moses, remember me? Some of y'all might have heard of me. Yep. Uh, you know, I heard this stuff from God. I want y'all to all believe me, drop all y'all stuff, and this all go together. Right? doesn't make any sense, right? But Aaron comes in and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vouch for this dude. We need to all gather together. For some reason, all the elders saw it fit to say, Aaron said we need to get together. Everybody come and get together. So they all gather together and check it out. Then they start doing all the signs. And what does the scripture say in verse 31? And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, that's deep. Man, then when they, they heard that, man, okay, God, he does care about us. He has seen us, right? It's interesting here. They saw the signs and that was awesome. But it's interesting that the signs were evidence to them that God loved them. The, the, the text here says, man, that man, you visit the people and you care about our affliction. It says they bowed their heads and they worshiped, right? Wow. Think about it. He's asking them to leave only what they've known in their whole generation and generations and generations before. And it took a speech and some, some, and some signs and the grace of God pouring all over it. And they all got up and said, let's do this, right? In history, this is what happened. I'm sure he was an elder, blown away by this. What's the application here, guys? We look at all this text, a lot going on here. The people of Israel are traveling, right? They're reading this stuff in the Pentateuch. And you know what I love about it? First, I love about it. First thing, Moses wrote it. You imagine? Moses wrote it. So he with the people, and they're like, man, you was jacked up, Moses. I know, man. I know. Right? Think about that. Mo, they're looking at, you think they're looking at Moses like, man, you were awesome right there. I love the way you said no to God again. I love the way you, you said, please, God, choose somebody else. That was awesome. I love how you saw him supernaturally show up in a bush and you were scared and said, I still don't want to do nothing with you, Lord. So he's writing this. They're looking at this dude like, <laughs> right? It's a beautiful thing here. A couple takeaways. I want us to first see this, this reality of this heart of stone broken on an altar of mercy. I just wanted to see that, that, that the text is screaming to you and me when we see Pharaoh, it's to recognize, wow, that was my heart. Or that is my heart. And I'm going to propose that that heart, if God doesn't do something and allows it to fall on mercy, man, right? We will always be separated from the life of God. So I'm praying in this room right now, I'm praying there's no hearts of stone. And I'm asking that some of us who are Christians, God has saved us. But man, you become callous, right? And you just got, you let sin take over. I'm praying that you would just be recapture the grace of Christ and experience that heart of flesh. I love, I love the fact that we have a picture here of a broken savior who gets contrast to a very complete and awesome savior in Jesus. 
I love that you have a broken Savior who doesn't obey the way he should obey, but he's still being used, who doesn't do the certain rights that allows the appeasement of God to happen when he should be doing it. And yet then we have a perfect Savior that that points to and go, you know what? I like you. I'm glad you let us when you let us, but I need to deal with this brother because he is perfect and he's done everything the right way. I love that we get to look toward Jesus and go, wow, I see our frailty in man and our hope is in God. I'm pretty sure that we get to see that juxtaposition where God gets the glory. A complete savior broken for us. As we talked about before, a covenant family and the shedding of blood. I've already mentioned the sense of the shedding of blood. So the question is, how will you respond? Right? We're all over the place. But how will you respond, fam? Moses is a character. Was it like to be like him being back and forth, kind of vacillating? And I mean, that's basically all of our Christian journey, right? Being like Aaron, believe in God. Are we like Pharaoh's? Our hearts of stone, right? Bringing ruin upon ourselves. Are we like the elders and people? Elders and, and the people, we believe and we see the wonders of God and we, we believe. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure in that state, in that statement there, they actually came to faith. Those people became Christians. Uh, because they were doing whatever they were doing, and he was introducing Yahweh to them anew. Um, think about that. How will you respond? My prayer uh, for all of us as we're looking at the text, man, that we will respond saying, wow, Lord, I've seen what you've done in history. I've seen what you've done in my life. That's how we do testimonies. And that we will respond in faith, continually trusting God, continually moving forward in Christ. Be encouraged, saints. Let's do this as we continue to worship God. Clear next step. I want us to be faithful in our expression of being a covenant community, uh, doing times of discipleship. I want us to be just clear next steps. I want us to, you know, we take this, this, um, this Thanksgiving break, enjoy our families. Let's get back. Let's be faithful to gathering together in our MAC groups, gathering together in our one-on-one times, being equipped, being sent out for God's people. Right? I want us to be encouraging that. I want us to be encouraging others to, to become part of this covenant community so that they can experience Christ because all of this is about God being exalted. You think of, well, what, what do I do with this text here? I think those are some clear things we can do. We can be the people of God. Be the people of God. Here's what we're going to do, family, as we close. We're going to have our time of tithe and offering.